Hey, ¿qué pasa, Calexico? Welcome back to the podcast. Like always, before we begin, I want to thank a couple of people. I want to thank, first of all, I want to thank Calexico Brewing Company for allowing me to record today's episode here. Um, I really appreciate the hospitality. Um, I also want to thank my anchor sponsors, Camilo, Jake, Ever Velasquez, John Cabrera from Mericorp, Eddie Lopez from Root Creative, Ms. Norma Sierra Galindo, Sergio's Tacos and Hot Dogs, serving the Imperial San Diego and Yuma counties with Mexicalista hot dogs and taquizas. Contact Sergio at 760-562-0057 or look for Sergio's Tacos and Hot Dogs on Facebook. Finally, I want to thank David Gastelum. If you're thinking of buying a selling home in the Imperial or San Diego counties, make sure you contact David. He's not only a realtor, but an investor with over 20 years of experience. And he'll teach you along the way one of the most important investments of your life. Um, my guest today is a Calexico uh, resident. He's been a city council member in the past. Now he's a board of director supervisor for District 1. Um, my guest today is Jesus Cacho Escobar. Thank you for being here today. Jose, buenas tardes. Thank you for the invite. Happy to be here. No, no, thank you for, for, for taking my, my invitation with a little bit short notice because it was this week and I, was, I reached out to you. Um, before we get into the meat and tomato, the, you know, the whole being, in, yeah, being in, in politics and all this, can you tell us a little, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, uh, born in El Centro, raised in Calexico, attended local schools, went to college uh, in San Diego, University of San Diego, got an MBA, uh, bachelor's in accounting and MBA. Had a successful 16-year banking career with a former Valley Independent Bank and then uh, Rabble Bank. And then got into politics a few years ago, was elected to the city council in uh, Calexico. And uh, eventually I was also elected to the county board of supervisors representing District 1 uh, for Imperial County. Was um, politics something that you, you know, thought of being part of, you know, growing up? Or is it something that just happened? Along uh, the way? That's a great question. I honestly know. In fact, uh, uh, a few people have teased me because they asked me, you should get into politics. I mean, you've got the... The financial background, you, you could make a difference. I mean, we need all the help we can get here at the local level. And I always kind of shunned it out. I said, no, I mean, politics for me is a little too dirty. Um, everybody wants a piece of the crumbs. We're not fighting for the entire pie, but for a piece of the crumbs. And it's very frustrating. Uh, as, as you start growing up, you start maturing in age. You go for your 20s to your 30s. You get more work experience. You get more life experience. And, and eventually, one thing led to another that said either... Either I'm part of the problem or I'm going to be part of the solution. And that's what really led me to run for Calexico City Council and then eventually run for the County Board of Supervisors because I do want to make a difference. I think uh, the Imperial County and the City of Calexico needs all the help it can get. And I think if we have the right electeds, we can definitely make a difference. I think it's just a question of getting that combination and moving the city and the county forward in that regard. Was, uh, was the county something that you had in mind since day one? And because... Uh, I, you know, I read comments, you know, when you got elected, um, uh, board of supervisor, people were saying like, oh, you only use city council as a stepping stone, which to me is like something that it's, it's obvious that people are going to, people that want to move up are going to use, they got to start somewhere, right? So you, you start from city council, but was a uh, board of supervisor something that was, you know, goal of yours or has it just happened along the way when you, you know, we're in that, again, that's a great question. No, the answer is absolutely not. First of all, I wasn't thinking about politics, <laughs> but then I saw how politics worked at the local level, specifically at the city level. And that really drove me to, again, try to make a difference for my community, for my city, which I lived here for 48 years. Uh, so, no, I mean, when I ran for city council, I was focused 100 percent on the city of Calexico. What really drove me to or the first the first um, drop of, of uh, maybe 
of an indication that I should maybe look at at the, at the county. Unfortunately, when I was serving as a city council member at the city of Calexico, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, oh. uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, she's currently in remission, doing really well. She's a senior in high school. But that really kind of opened my eyes to the really all the needs of not just our city, but our county and how much we are suffering from both a fiscal and a, a medical perspective mm-hmm. and how I could really make a, a bigger difference at the county level than I can at the city level, really based on that. So, mm-hmm. no, it wasn't really, was I thinking about running a, for the county when I made it to the city? Absolutely not. That wasn't even at the, I mean, it wasn't even an afterthought. Mm-hmm. But again, the issues that I had to deal with on a personal level with my family, with my daughter, really led me to kind of open up my eyes a little bit more as to how much more I could make a difference at a different level. And that's really the, the, what was started the, the entire, uh, the, insti- the entire county political uh, umbrella for me to move forward. For those people that might not know what, you know, county supervisor is in charge or what's their, their duty. Can you tell us like in layman's term, what, what you do at, at the county as a board of supervisors? Sure. Uh, I mean, in, in, in layman's terms, I and mean, we, we have uh, multiple departments that are either run directly by the county or they're run by the county through state or federal funding. For example, everybody understands and knows what Medi-Cal is, food stamps, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So through, through state funding, we run those programs for the state at the county level. Everybody knows that the sheriff's department, I mean, everybody knows what the sheriff is. Sheriff is actually a county uh, public agency that helps us, obviously, with public safety across our footprint. And when you look at the actual footprint of Imperial County, it's one of the largest counties in the state of California. So hats off to the sheriffs to what they do to cover and to keep us safe countywide. Mm. Uh, another example, for example, is public works. Uh, you look at all the road systems in our county. Obviously, there's a lot of neglected roads out there. But the, the Public Works Department does a great job in trying to facilitate as much infrastructure improvements throughout our county uh, in, a, in, a, in, in the best manner possible. So, again, three simple examples. Public health, obviously, that's a, that's a big one. Why? Because of COVID-19. Public health is at the forefront of COVID-19 as far as working with local school districts, look, working with local uh, cities, and, and being the liaison with the state and getting the right information to the right people in an expeditious manner. So, again, public health has been a great asset, and obviously it's run by uh, or within our county footprint. Uh, lastly, uh, one I would love to mention, obviously, is behavioral health. Mm-hmm. As we continue to move forward, we see that behavioral health is, is an ongoing issue among our community. Veteran, not veteran uh, alike, we have a lot of problems with behavioral health. So my hat's off to them as far as what they do for our county. And that's, again, that is a county agency or county uh, department that is run through through state funding. But, again, that supports our entire community. And I could go on and on, the DA's office, the public defender's office, assessor, tax collector. uh, Again, we can go on and on, economic development. Uh, There's multiple departments that the county is in charge of. Or help support. Um, you, you talked about roads, um, and recently you were. Um, it was a, a big thing. Was um, you know the traffic here in Calexico due to uh, whether it's contra- construction or we we kind of all know when we're gonna start getting that traffic because it's uh, Fiestas del Sol, um, you know Christmas shopping, Halloween, um, Christmas, Los Agu- New Year's, Las Aguilas, exactly, yeah. 
you know, all these things that, you know, we kind of already like, oh, you need to avoid um, Imperial or 90, uh, 111. Um, and and y- y- you're making a push for, you know, having the East Port of Entry. Is it the East? Yeah. East. Yes, Calexico East. Um, kind of being open a little bit more. You know, where are we in terms of, um, you know, alleviating a little bit of the traffic here in, in, in the downtown? Well, just, just going back in history a little bit, all this is driven initially by COVID-19 uh, when the county, well, I'm sorry, when the when uh, the government decided to not allow foreign nationals to come to our country, um, obviously they also decided to to scale back the, the operations from a, from a timing perspective. So in our specific case here in Imperial County, Calexico East, which is our, our, our second um, international port of entry, instead of having hours of operation from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m., basically an 18-hour workday, Monday through Sunday, they scaled it back to 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. Because, again, there was going to be a lesser need and to basically control the spread of the pandemic, the spread of COVID-19. Again, I completely understand. And I, and just for the record, I, I, I do want to mention that we have a wonderful working relationship with local CBP officials, be it uh, Sergio Beltran, the officer in charge, David Salazar, or, or Pete Flores, who's the regional director, and Marisich, who's the uh, second in command at the regional level. Great working relationship. We meet on a consistent basis, and we're working together to try some to try to solve some of these issues. But as the as the pandemic uh, continued month month over month and then year over year, because we're in we're in month nineteen of our pandemic, yeah. we found it of 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 essence to really look at how we're operating Calexico East. And again, the justification for Calexico East closing at two p.m. Monday through Sunday is no longer there. Yeah. And uh, the traffic congestion that's affecting the city of Calexico from both in road rage perspective and EMS perspective. Again, you have an emergency, you've got a police car or you've got an ambulance going from the east side of Calexico to the west side, your trip might take 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. And that's just reality. It's not it's not exaggeration by any stretch of the imagination. So what happens there is a life can be, can be lost mm-hmm. because instead of getting there in five, five minutes, seven minutes, we're getting there in 25, 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. That's not safe, that's not fair for our community. And again, it has a solution. If we can decongest all this traffic at Calexico West, we can definitely make a difference and maybe save a life. And I think that's really the focal point that we need to really uh, disseminate this traffic and let Calexico East open up. If not from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m., which was the previous operation, at least from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., which would include two shifts, two eight-hour shifts, mm-hmm. 6 to 2 and 2 to 10, which should really alleviate the traffic road rage and obviously the potential for tragedies to occur on the calexico west side yeah yeah and, and then said uh, that peak hour right like from six to nine that normally that's when we get all this traffic down here on, on you know on imperial and 111 and it's a it's a multi-tiered problem it's not all uh cbp and calexico east related although that is the root of the cause uh you also have um at times the Mexican port of entry only having two or three lanes open, which again causes some problems. We have had very fruitful uh, meetings with uh, the new uh, Mexican administrator for customs uh, very recently, and we have noticed change. The past forty-eight hours, it's been a it's been night and day. So we're hoping that that continues, and we seem to have his, his full co- cooperation in that regard. 
Another issue is obviously GSA. Uh, Calexico West is going from 10 lanes to 16 lanes. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, that project is delayed until roughly December of 2023. So the construction and the bottlenecks that the construction unfortunately delivers to Calexico and to the the, uh, transients is is obviously an issue that we will continue to have to manage. Mm -hmm. And then also because of that project, Caltrans is working with Calexico in in widening and uh, making uh, State Route 98 a little bit more effective, which is basically um, in layman's terms, Birch Street in Calexico. Mm. And that construction is also causing significant uh, traffic congestion. So again, it's almost like a, like a perfect storm <laughs> of situations that's created. Again, at the root of the cause is the fact that Calexico West, I'm sorry, Calexico East is closing at 2 p.m. But again, if that could be solved, the other issues would not be as 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 challenging to work with but again the root of the cause continues to be the closure of calexico east at 2 p.m yeah and something i want to mention is uh, that um we got i i gotta give kudos to to the traffic controllers you know th- there's really few of them and you know they get the brunt of the you know people's anger road rage whatever and it's you know they're doing their job they're only a, a couple here and there um they're really shorthanded and you know it's not their fault that you know all this is going on and and if people i, I feel like if people were a little bit more um like follow the rules you know made line the way you know you're supposed to make line mm-hmm. it wouldn't be as hectic as as it sometimes can get and and sometimes they get you know yelled at or whatnot because they don't let people pass or what, or whatever. But you well, know. you bring up a good point, Jose, and, and we hats off to them because not only are they just doing their job, uh, they're doing their job in thir- triple digit weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's I mean, it's, we're we're in October and still hitting a hundred degrees. So, I mean, hats off to them because they do deal with angry people. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not I'm not necessarily just justifying the fact of the angry people because they also have a point. I mean, just. Let's, let's just do a, a very simple scenario here. Somebody gets to work, lives in Mexicali, comes to work legally in the U.S., uh, does not have Sentry or Global, so they're basically waiting for an hour and a half to our border wait. So they're up at 5, they're at the border at 6, they cross at 8, they mm-hmm. do their 8 to 5 shift, they get out at 5, 5.30. Maybe they're working at the, at the beef plant in Brawley. They come down, that's a half-hour drive uh, both ways, and then they have to be in line for an hour and a half or two hours so their day is compromised of a two-hour border wait a one-hour commute back and forth once they cross over and then another two-hour border wait Mm -hmm. so that's five hours right there and they still haven't gotten home yeah so again uh that's where the road rage comes into play that's where the potential for somebody just going all out ballistic and literally taking out a gun and starting to shoot people i mean there's a lot of issues that could potentially uh, harm our community and that's what we need to be careful and that's the reason why i really pushed our county board of supervisors to draft a letter and send it to our federal elected officials congressman vargas and senators feistein and padilla to really look at this and work with cbp at the washington level mm-hmm. at the highest level possible to really look at calexico east and the hours of operation because we can't continue to operate this way and again if we're waiting for the port of entry to allow foreign nationals to come into the U.S., I mean, we might still be waiting for three, four, six months because yeah. we don't have any definitive answer on that. Mm-hmm. So, again, we need to push for Calexico East to be open 
at a much later time or, or extended hours for Calexico East. Again, it's, it's of imminent uh, importance for, for us here locally. Mm-hmm. Um, saying that with the topic of roads and stuff like that, um, um, there, how long does um, you know, District 1's or, or the county's um, jurisdiction when it comes to like uh, back roads here in Calexico, like say Bowker, Jasper, you know, all these roads, are they part of the city of Calexico or are they part of the county? On the north side, uh, the the city line is drawn on Jasper Road. Jasper Road is a very, very uh, neglected road. Mm-hmm. What we've been working on at the Public Works Department and working with uh, our city manager, Mr. Vieroa, is is working on repa- repaving um, Jasper Road. And eventually, once it's repaved, um, uh, giving it to the city of Calexico. So right now, it's technically a 50-50 split. Once that road is repaved and redone, then it will be given to the city of Calexico as far as their jurisdiction moving forward. But again, that, that is really a neglected road that yeah. we need to work on. As far as Barker Road is concerned, which that Barker Road would be to the uh, east of Calexico, that's another neglected road. It is on Public Works uh, master plan for it to be repaved in certain sections because, again, it is really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And then going to on the west side of Calexico, we've got Clark Road, which is also, which basically, if you go north, eventually becomes uh, A Street. That's also, at, in certain certain sections, very, very, in very, very poor conditions. And that's also, in fact, that's going to be priority one. That's the one that's already going to be working, being worked on very soon. So again, multiple projects, not necessarily within the city's jurisdiction, but that affect the city's uh, footprint because a lot of people travel from the city of Calexico to and from utilizing those roads. Yeah, especially like we mentioned, the the traffic here on, on 111, you know, people tend to take those roads just to avoid, exactly. you know, that, that area. Um, so, yeah, the, and, and I mentioned it because, you know, my wife travels through Balcar a lot, so mm-hmm. I get a lot of the complaints. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and I, don't get me wrong, I, I travel quite a bit. And in fact, that was the one that really pushed our public works director to really include uh, Banco Road and get together with City Calexico and trying to make a difference when it comes to Jasper because this was well, 50% mine and 50% yours. We got to solve it. I mean, okay, we got to fix it and then let's negotiate what we can do moving forward. And again, I think what's going to happen is we're going to fix it and then we're going to basically yeah. quote unquote donate it to the City Calexico and have it be uh, completely owned instead of a 50-50 split, which always creates a lot of havoc when it comes to, hey, well, who's going to do the maintenance? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of, um, you know, when you ran, uh, even before you got elected, did you ever think you were going to be, you know, in, in the county during a global pandemic, during, um, you know, you know, all this stuff that happened during the pandemic with, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, um, you know, all the, all the minorities issues. Like, did you ever feel like or think you would be part of this? you know, this, this board and, and all these trolling times? Well, as, as I have, first of all, the answer is no, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I'm a father of three girls, very proud father of three girls. And uh, two of them has gone, have gone through cancer. Wow. Uh, my oldest one is, is in remission. She's a senior in high school, as I mentioned before. And my middle one is a freshman in high school, and she's technically still going through chemotherapy. She, hopefully within this year, she will be done. And um, everything indicates that she will be okay. But as a father, you always worry about uh, about that situation. So when we talk about uh, the county and the pandemic, um, dealing with cancer kind of prepares you to a certain extent for making sure that you're taking care of your family. 
but when you're a representative, when you're elected official, you can't just look at, in this case, a family of five, my wife and my three kids. You got to look, if not globally, regionally. Because when I look at my family from a political perspective, I look at my family of roughly 180,000 fold. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that's the population roughly of Imperial County. And that's the people that I am elected to protect to guide to lead and it's important that i don't lose the fact of i may may piss people off but as long as i'm making the right decision based on their safety based on their future that gives me uh, peace of mind and when it comes to the pandemic and covid19 you always want to err on the side of conservatism and what does that mean that means for example if i need to wear a mask i'll wear a mask Mm -hmm. even though i don't want to wear a mask even though i hate masks why because that mask might save somebody's life and again that's been my viewpoint from a mask perspective all along do i like mask mandates absolutely not do i think they take away from our 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 learning capabilities our our our, our friendships our 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 yeah or just on speaking terms alone do they pose a, a barrier absolutely and could we have those barriers eliminated without a mask absolutely but again if that wearing that mask is going to save a life, I'm willing to sacrifice in the short term for us to move this forward and for us to save lives. Yes. It's a simple example on, on COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's something that you guys voted on. Um, was it this week, you know, to keep the, the mask mandate? On a, on a temporary basis, again, the issue on the, on the, on the mask mandate is the, the, only, the only area that we really voted on is in public settings, indoor instead of having it be an option for vaccinate, vaccinated individuals, it is really something that would be required for vaccinated individuals. And again, the reason for that is very clear. The Delta variant, variant of COVID-19 is increasing in our valley. And our hospitalization, our beds availability, just the overall infrastructure when it comes to hospitals, attending individuals and making sure that everybody is getting the proper treatment is very challenging, especially for the very serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that in the summer. We saw that in the, the, the other much. peak, which was in December, uh, January of uh, 20, 2020, 2021. Uh, and in the initial peak, which was March, April, excuse me, of 2020. And the problem here is we can't be overly aggressive when it comes to taking those mass mandates off because of our limited infrastructure when it comes to health care we have two small hospitals to attend the entire population i mean you look at helicopters taking people out of this area for covid19 or non-covid19 related medical reasons over the hill to san diego to other areas san diego's already said we don't want you guys i mean we 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 can barely handle what we have now so we need to be very careful and very cognizant about that fact Mm -hmm. so again now this goes back to trying to make the right decision, which isn't easy sometimes. Uh, not easy at all, because I, I know there's the people that don't agree with me or don't agree with the situation. But again, it's trying to protect the whole of the population, your entire political family, which is 108,000 strong of Imperial County. And and you know, I'm I'm somebody that you know, I wear my mask. I don't really you know. I mean, obviously, I I mind to a certain point, but. You know, don't mind more in a mask. I think that even after the whole pandemic's gone, you'll probably see me if I feel sick. If somebody in my household is sick, you know, you probably see me wearing a mask from here on in the future. Because I mean, we see people from from Asia that you know they used to 
practice that a lot. So like you now we see like you know now we know why they know what it is to go through something where respiratory Ill, um, illness is really contagious. So they they are, we would see people you know if, um, uh, visitors or or, or what tourists that, that would come here that would be wearing masks. And now we know you know why they, they did it. Mm-hmm. So I feel that you know going forward I I'll, um, I'll be somebody that is gonna keep practicing that whenever mm-hmm. I feel sick or have somebody near me sick and i think the problem here is and this is necessary on a local level this is more on a national potentially international level when you look at social media in general i mean it's either far to the left or far to the yeah. right and most people are really in the middle they're middle left or middle right basically there there are um there might be republican they might be democrat but they're basically more more central than anything else it's the five or seven percent that is far left and five to seven percent that's far right that really kind of divides us and the social media just preys on us and divides us even further mm-hmm. and the mass mandate's a perfect example it's almost become like a republican a democrat thing when i just see it as saving lives and being mm-hmm. careful and again the the country is so divided you look at pockets of people that where vaccines are less than 40 percent uh, of the population less than 40 percent so that means that uh, less, uh, more, more than six out of ten people are not getting the vaccine. Yeah. Vaccines are now in every corner of America, mm-hmm. but they're deciding not to because they don't trust it, because of potential allergic reactions, because of potential secondary effects, etc. But then you look at the other side of the umbrella, and in California, we're uh, very highly vaccinated. You look at Imperial County, mm-hmm. our numbers are through the roof mm-hmm. as far as people getting the vaccine. So again, it's 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 a quite a contrast. In, in who's getting it and who's not getting it and the justifications for and against. And to me personally, that's very sad because again, I lost my father-in-law to COVID-19. Right now I'm dealing with a daughter who is going through chemotherapy. So to me, the, the health and well-being of my population, of my family is of utmost importance. And when we have an asset that we can use, but yet the information or misinformation for or against is so widespread, that just causes confusion. And then what happens after confusion? It causes anger, separation, division, and that's where the problems lie. Mm-hmm. And you look at media, whether it be um, liberal social media or conservative social media, we're, they're at throats with each other. They're, they're literally wanting to go to war with each other. And at the end of the day, we're all Americans. Mm-hmm. We're all here together. It's all about us protecting the United States of America. And we don't get that sometimes. Mm-hmm. We lose that train of thought because we're so divided on something that, to me, is so slim, simplistic. Yeah. Keeping our country safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the county. Is it, like, at around 80% uh, vaccinated? I don't have the specific figures, but... I, uh, think over 80% have, or uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% have at least one shot, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 90, uh, I'm sorry, take it back. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 80%, 70 to 80 have uh, both vaccines, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 90 mm-hmm. have at least one, one, one dose of the vaccine. Did you think that it's because of um, what we went through during, you know, the, the peak where we were like really bad, we were on mm-hmm. national media, do you think that kind of pushed people here to, you know, get vaccinated well that, that that is twofold one is yes we have a very um we have a varied population that has been pro-vaccine which is great because it's keeping us safe uh but the other important aspect of it is and and this is not necessarily dr- it's driving the numbers up but it's not and, and it's also protecting us but it's 
not necessarily within Imperial County, and that is all the foreign nationals in Mexico that can legally come to the U.S. and obviously are also uh, getting that vaccine and driving up the numbers. Mm. Perfect examples in Calexico. If you do the numbers in Calexico, we're close to 100% vaccination. Mm. We know for a fact Calexico is not fully vaccinated 100%. But who's driving those numbers? People coming from Mexicali, legally crossing the border, getting the vaccine, staying to have a, a, a Calexico address. So some of these numbers are somewhat inflated. So even though we're doing a great job of vaccinations, it may not be as great as what the numbers uh, entail. Mm. But again, here is where the vigilance needs to come in. We still need to be vigilant about what we do and how we do things. Washing our hands, social distancing, uh, wearing our masks in, in, in social settings, especially when we're talking about it indoors. But again, that's where the uh, social media comes into play and where the division comes into play. Yeah. Yeah, because to me, like, I feel that um, within my circle of friends, it's only, like, a handful that I know that aren't. Uh, I feel like most of the people I know are vaccinated. Um, I, have actually, I have two vaccines. I have the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer. Um, so it's kind of like, I feel that, you know, most Calexicans, but yeah, like you said, the numbers are a little bit... Uh, skewed. They're yeah. skewed a little bit up because, again, we've got the Mexicali influence. Hmm. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, this is this is almost like a subject that has no ending because there's so many people either for or against the vaccine or for or against the mass mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, going going back to, you know, being elected and um, voting, um, why do you think it's important for people? Because during the last election or the recon, we only had like 16 percent of the population voting. Um last election we had a, a good number of people voting because of the presidential election but normally the numbers here in the valley aren't you know great why do you feel it's important for people to to vote and to get to know who's representing them especially like somebody at, at the county somebody that's that has a bigger seat why is it important for people to to get out there and vote and make sure that they're represented well, i think it's important for multiple reasons first of all you need to understand that at the local level, be it at the, at the city of Calexico level, city council, or at the county board of supervisors, in this case, District 1, which is the one I represent, there's a lot of local decision making that can affect you either positively or negatively down the road. Mm-hmm. And I think the more informed we are, the better off we're all going to be. And the more informed we are about who is voting for what at the local level, again, specifically your city council members or your elected officials at the county board of supervisors. And again, this goes across the board, mm. school districts, uh, Heffernan, a hospital district, um, uh, IID, and across the board, the better off we are aware, the better off we're going to be as a collective community moving forward. The problem here is it's almost like the, the typical saying, out of sight, out of mind. Mm. People don't really care. They don't understand. They categorize elected officials as corrupt as inept, as uninterested, or they're just here for a buck. Mm-hmm. And it it, it 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 does hold water in some degree, to some degree, with some individuals. But again, that's where what you said, Jose, specifically about getting to know who your elected official is in a specific district or for, spe- for a specific area. Because again, the more trust you build with that person, the less likely you'll be to necessarily critique that person and the more likely you'll be to basically constructively critique that individual. There's a big difference. 
constructive criticism makes us all grow mm. because we learn from our mistakes or we look at the other uh, end of the spectrum that we may not be looking at because, again, we're not perfect individuals yeah. versus just plain criticism that is uninformed, uninvolved, and for the most part has no information on the related subject. So it's just throwing tomatoes and onions at a politician, which makes, again, it's not going to make a difference in the life of you or your community. But if you can offer constructive criticism based on the fact that you're fully knowledgeable about what's going on, that that is a world of difference. And that's something that every elected official in this county and honestly in this nation should be looking at. Unfortunately, again, as you go higher and higher up the totem pole, the less and less you care about your electeds and, mm-hmm. and your elected population. Mm-hmm. And that's very sad. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like once you go higher and higher, there's more... Um, um, what do you um like more people that are gonna be wanting your attention or your vote so there's more you know exchange of, of there's more influences mm-hmm. and unfortunately some of those influences are not necessarily going to be positive for your electorate which is the people that you represent mm-hmm. and that's where politicians need to be very careful because as you continue to move on in a political career uh, you lose sight of the fact of who you're representing what the importance of why you're representing them, why you started in this uh, profession in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that's really sad. And you see that across the board. You see that in Mexico. You see that in the U.S. We lose sight of of what we really started doing. And we really just look at the, quote, unquote, the big picture. But that big picture, how does that relate to your local community, to mm-hmm. your local elected uh, community? It doesn't. And that's what's really sad about politics, that we as a collective group forget about making sure that we still are keeping in touch with our community, understanding its problems, and making a difference in its problems. Yeah, and I feel that, I mean, here, especially here in Calexico, there's been instances where, you know, we kind of vote for somebody that we feel um, is going to represent us right and correctly, and then they end up doing some, you know, it's happened a couple of times in the last four or six years right yes. so it, it kind of two know, or three years <laughs> <laughs> so you know that kind of um you know sometimes i try to trust somebody and then they do something like that so it's like you know we we we, we right away we brush every politician with the same you know paintbrush we're like you know they're all like this guy you know, yeah, this corrupto, and they don't do anything they're interested in their pocketbooks etc etc that's the importance of people being engaged that's that's where the criticism versus constructive criticism comparison comes into play mm-hmm. because again that's just if you're just criticizing somebody because he's it's part of the same uh, bad apple well yeah there's a few bad apples but there's a there's a significant amount of good apples in that tree as well and that's where getting to know your candidate where does he come from where are his roots uh, where was he raised? What schools did he go? Who does he hang out with? Um, who are his parents? What did his parents do? What did he do? Did he go to college? Where did he work? Uh, what type of work environment does he have? What type of work experience does he have? Mm. Uh, how has he voted on in the past? And why did he vote that way? And he, can he justify why he voted in that regard uh, from previous experience? So, I mean, you can definitely dig, dig, dig in a very ethical way on what your electives are doing and why they're doing what they're doing and obviously hold them accountable Mm -hmm. myself included we need to be held accountable for what we are doing and why we're doing it and how we're really helping out our communities and again uh in a general perspective some electives lose sight of that that at the end of the day we are elected to represent the people within our district within our city 
And we need to be fighting for that. And we need to justify every action that we make, either for or against, for those people, mm-hmm. bottom line. And sometimes, again, we, we, we lose sight of the fact that we should be held accountable by the people that voted for us and by our com- by our collective community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I feel that that's re- really important that we they lose sight about what you said. Like, you know, it's it's more about you know the people you're representing, and sometimes I feel that there's not enough um, um, like interaction with the our elected officials with the community. You know, they get elected, and then you know you don't see them other than you know, mixer here and there or, you know, ribbon cutting, you know, picture in the paper, but you didn't see them interacting with the community. Um, how do you, how do you um, personally interact with your community to make sure you're getting feedback from them? Well, the most important thing here is to make sure that we have open lines of communication, be it through email, uh, telephone, um, in person, making sure that you take as many calls as you can, making sure that you're making the meetings and you're making the rounds and making sure that you're, uh, in your community, understanding the needs of your community and how you as an elected official, in this case for the county of Imperial, are working with your city officials on some of the problems that the city has where the county can support. Perfect example is, again, we talked about this, is border wait times for Calexico West and how we drafted a letter sent to uh, Congressman Vargas and Senators Feinstein and Padilla saying, hey, this has been going on way too long. The justification is not there anymore. Uh, and we need to open up Calexico East to uh, to increase the hours of operation, bottom line. So that's just that's just an example of how the county is working with the city. And in this case, this is not just a city Calexico problem. That would be a county-wide problem. Mm-hmm. That's why we're working with all the cities and asking for their support in pushing that agenda. Because again, how many people work in El Centro and Imperial that commute on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. How many people uh, work in Brawley that commute on a daily basis? How many people come to school legally here and commute on a daily basis. And again, it, it is an economic windfall. It's an assistance. And at the same time, with this traffic, it, you don't get anywhere. Yeah. So that's just that's just one example. As far as uh, working with your community, I mean, we, we can definitely look at what we vote on and what we don't vote on and making sure that we're getting to the people, uh, w- that the people are knowledgeable in what we're voting on and why we're voting for those specific items. What, what those agenda items are and why we're supporting them, or in this case, not supporting them. Again, both at the city and at the county level, it's very important that we get that message out. Utilizing utilizing whatever we can, be it conversation, um, social media, um, print media, uh, news media, etc. Making sure that the message is coming out as to what you're doing and what we're fighting for for our community. And the same with the topic of, uh, you know, uh you know, our sister city, Mexicali. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about um, your, what's it called, the this group you have, uh, the Board of, no, hold on, where is it? The Southern Border Committee. Yeah. Southern Border Committee was created a few years ago at, uh, at, at my behest uh, by the County Board of Supervisors. It was a piggybacked on, on a couple of different uh, advisory committees that they have in the North End as well as in, in the Hebrew area and e- even in the Ocotillo area of the county. But I wanted to give it a little bit different dynamic. And what I did is I b- basically called upon elected officials of some of the er- of the different districts that represent the city of Calexico. For example, we have council members. We have our city manager. We have representatives from the Heffern Hospital District representatives from Calexico Unified School District, from ICOE, 
from Imperial Valley uh, Board of Trustees. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a couple others. We have representatives from Officer Ben Wessel's office, uh, from uh, Congressman Vargas's office. So it's really a collective group of either elected officials, community stakeholders, or individuals that work for elected officials at the state and federal level. And the reason to bring this, these these individuals in collectively is to really try to make a difference, to make Alexico better. It's never been tried before. Obviously, the IEDs represent as well, as, as well as a few others that I may have failed to mention. Mm-hmm. But the collective group is really there to really inform to a much greater degree of what is happening in Calexico of some of the problems that need to be tackled in Calexico and what we can do again as elected officials community stakeholders or representatives of state or federal officials what we can do collectively to change the parameters of how we're working it or how we're tackling the specific issue at hand so again it's a dynamic group it's really there to make a difference in Calexico COVID-19 didn't help uh, so we had to kind of Put it on pause. We're back uh, running at full strength. And it is, again, something to really make Calexico a better place for everybody and to really tackle some of the issues at a much larger scale. Perfect example is within that group is how the idea came about that we really needed to push this, not from a CBP perspective, and this is the border wait times, not from a CBP perspective and Calexico is being closed, uh, but more so because we have a great working relationship with local CBP, but at the same time, their hands are tied. So what we need to do is take it to the next level yeah. at the federal level uh, and looking for support with their federal officials. So that's a perfect example of how um, the Southern Border Committee has really been up in arms about the situation at hand and how we need to change things within Calexico. Um, is there anybody from Mexicali that's part of the group? No, this is basically Calexico-driven. Okay. Uh, again, uh the local school district, uh, Imperial County School District, IBC, Heffernan, City Council, City Manager, IID, uh, representatives at the state and federal levels. Uh, basically, everybody that is willing to work or is represented by Calexico and wanting to make a difference for Calexico and make it a better place. Okay. I had a question that I wanted to ask in the beginning, but I kind of f- forgot. Um, where does where does Gachu come from? <laughs> That's a that's a that's an interesting question, non political <laughs> question. Yeah. Uh, uh, my name is Jesus Adoro Escobar. Jesus, uh, uh, I was kind of a miracle baby because my mother was told she could not uh, have kids, so I was kind of a miracle baby. After seven years of marriage, I, I uh, my mom, six and a half years of marriage, my mom got pregnant, and then here I come. Right, so the story of Jesus is twofold. One is my grandfather on my mother's side is named Jesus. And my father's name, Eduardo. And then my do- my dad said, because we, he waited so long to have me, he dedicated to Jesus Christ. So so there's a twofold reason for Jesus and a onefold reason for Eduardo. So um, my grandparents had uh, relatives on the U.S. side. So a typical nickname for Jesus is Jesse on the U.S. side. Mm-hmm. And they had relatives on the Mexican side. And the typical... Um, nickname for uh, jesus on the mexican side is is chewy True. so my grandmother who's basically you know there's always a like a matriarch somebody that's like the the boss of the family let's say so my grandmother was quote unquote the boss of the family so because my grandfather was named jesus he didn't like a mexican-american uh family members calling him jesse 
and he didn't like she didn't like uh, Mexican uh, family members calling him Chewy, so he she kind of invented this gachu. <laughs> How she did it, I don't know, but it stuck and it's been been there ever since. And uh, forty eight hours, forty eight years strong, and I think a lot of people that know me personally. Uh, would call me Kachu versus yeah. Jesus. And yeah, and, and, you get that and quite I mean, a bit. You use it in, when you, when you run, so it's like it's it's in your in your flyer. So like yes. people like obviously like the, I think I've I've when I told somebody that I was going to interview you, then I told them your nickname. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I know who that is. Mm. Yeah, it's like Jesus. Who's that? Yeah. Kachu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, I, I guess people know you more. It's easier for people to to yeah. remind remember you by, by your nickname. Mm. Um. I want to talk about the Salt and Sea. I know you've been kind of involved with the. Uh, I know they, they want to. I mean, Salt and Sea is a, a monster within itself, right? But they've been talking about you know getting the lithium out of that area. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that project and how it would impact the valley? Sure. Well, the Salt and Sea is one thing. That's an eco- e- that's an ecological nightmare, and it's only going to get worse. Why? Because the water that's coming in is 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 more and more polluted as every day goes by, and it's less and less mm-hmm. and every day goes by. So the uh the playa or the actual beach around it is is growing and that carries significant issues why because it's contaminated soil so as it continues to evaporate and to reduce in square feet uh, obviously more playa is exposed which those winds can pick up the all those chemicals and all that uh, yuckiness and 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 it poses a really health hazard for everybody surrounding it the problem here is Winds can take those chemicals within a 100-mile radius. 100-mile radius is roughly all the way to Yuma. Mm-hmm. So it can definitely hit us depending on how the winds are going. Mm-hmm. It can, I mean, if you do a 100-mile radius on the Salton Sea and all its edges, I mean, you're basically almost touching just about every corner of Southern California because the Salton Sea is right in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in the upper uh, northern uh, western side of Imperial County. So it kind of it touches Riverside County, it touches uh, San Bernardino County. Definitely touches L.A. County uh, and uh, and obviously San Diego and Imperial County, depending on how the winds are going. Mm-hmm. So that's an ecological nightmare. Again, uh, that's one side of the umbrella. The other side, which is more specifically to what you're talking about, that's lithium. Lithium is something that's going to be continued to increase over time or the, the demand for lithium. Why? Because we're moving away from fossil fuels. Almost every car maker now has at least one sometimes multiple via, multiple multiple vehicles that are run sans gasoline mm-hmm. or sans diesel, sans fossil fuels. What I mean by that is that, again, the demand for lithium and lithium extraction will continue to increase. But what we want in Imperial County is, is not what's happening with our fruits and vegetables. Fruits and vegetables are farmed in Imperial County, but by and large are sent to different areas for packing, packaging, processing, etc. So we lose out on those jobs. We lose out on those tax dollars. We lose lose out on that economic development. Mm-hmm. So what we don't want to happen with lithium is specifically that. So we're not just looking at lithium extraction. We're looking at the value-added products that come with lithium extraction and the next level, which is the work in process. In a, in a manufacturing plant, you've got your raw material, you've got work in process, and you've got your finished good. We want to be able to not just provide the raw material, which again is lithium, lithium extraction. We want to be able to obviously manufacture it 
or work it to through a work in process and eventually get to a finished good. Mm-hmm. So we want that entire gamut of operations to stay in Imperial County for obvious reasons. To help out with unemployment, to create jobs, to create uh, opportunities from an economic development perspective. And at the end of the day, for fiscal uh, issues that the city of Calexico, the county of Imperial, every city in this county will gain from. Yeah. So, again, that's why it needs to be a very, very targeted approach, not just on the extraction portion of it, but on the actual production and value-added services that that extraction can provide. Okay. And in terms of um, environmental issues, you know, the there wouldn't be any, you know, effect in, in, in our army that might, might be harmful to us? No, I mean, I, again, from a, from a from a ecological uh, health perspective, the two major issues at the local level are the Salton Sea and the water that is receding at the Salton Sea. That is, every day that goes by becomes a bigger and bigger problem and a much more expensive problem to fix. And at the other end of the spectrum, because that's on the north end, on the south end, you've got the New River, which is basically composed of Mexican agricultural runoff. Uh, and obviously uh, uh, wastewater releases from Mexico. Mm -hmm. So when you combine those two on the south and north end, and at the end of the day, the new river actually ends at the base of the Salton Sea. So it's all all being sent directly from Mexico all the way to the Salton Sea. So those two ecological problems are are, are not a a problem, but a nightmare for our residents. Mm -hmm. There are some projects, for example, the state has stepped up to the plate. My hat's off to our local elected officials, uh, uh, Eduardo Garcia and, and Ben Hueso, our state uh, assembly member and a state uh, senator, respectively, because they really pushed uh, and assisted us in, in financing for what we call a trash screen, which will be at the base port of entry as the newer is coming into the U.S. through Calexico, and a pump-back system, which is going to pump back uh, treated water from the Calexical water plant over to that initial entry point. So the New River Canal or New River flow through Calexico while I should be treated uh, water from the Calexico uh, water plant. What does that mean? That instead of us having a one of our worst uh, visuals and health hazards going through the city of Calexico through the, the west side is going to become a jewel going to be a walking park it's going to be i mean it's going to transform the city and it's going to be a jewel for our city and what are we going to do we're going to again at the base when they're entering we're going to encase the new river and take it out of the city of calexico that is a state um, that is a state funded program or state funded project i should say and obviously at the local level from management perspective the id the city of calexico and the county have partnered up to maintain it so, again, this is going to be a, a, a home run for the city of Calexico. Is it fixing the problem? No. Because, again, the issue is still coming. The pathogens are still coming in. We're encasing it kind of out of sight, out of mind. But uh, uh, three to four miles upstream, it will, again, reconnect with the uh, New River Channel all the way up to the New River, all the way up to the Salton Sea. So, again, are we fixing the issue? No. Are we taking it out of sight and fixing it within Calexico? Yes. But again, at the end of the day, we do need a wastewater treatment facility on this side to tackle that problem so that we can basically finalize that issue within the U.S. and not have that issue be or affecting U.S. citizens on this side of the border. Mm -hmm. That is the ultimate goal. And that is a federal issue, not a state issue. So 
again, that's where that's another avenue that we're pursuing from a federal perspective to make sure that they are fully aware that this is happening, which they are, but not just that, but that they provide funding for it and down the road. Yeah. Um, something that's been affecting uh, California is, you know, housing, housing crisis. You know, in Calexico, there's really no um, inventory for for houses, people coming down. Um, I know City uh, Calexico was working on a, on, a, on a plan for, you know, to build more homes or where to place them and stuff like that. Um, how is the county helping and kind of like streamlining any, any projects or, or helping with funds to... I don't know, maybe build lower-income homes, stuff like that. Does the county have any involvement in, in those types of situations? Well, I mean, uh, as far as low-income housing is concerned, <clears throat> the county is obviously involved in, in making sure that we're working with uh, uh, private investment companies that are working with uh, either state or federal government as far as looking at housing subsidies or looking at ways to invest where it's basically it's a win-win for both the community and obviously for the investor. Uh, is it something that's sorely needed, especially low-income housing? Absolutely. Mm. When you look at rents in Calexico, for example, I mean, a, a two-bedroom apartment is running well over a thousand bucks. I mean, how many people that are making minimum wage can afford that? Yeah. Even studios are now like at eight hundred, eight fifty. And 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 when you look at the the population, if you're making minimum wage, well, you live in in Mexicali. Even though you have to do that to our borderway, I think it's in your own best interest from a financial perspective. So mm. I think that's something that does need to change. And I think not just housing in general, but we need to look at the actual urban plan for our community. And for our community, I mean the entire Imperial County, because we can't just build one uh, facility or a couple of facilities or one uh, single-family residence complex. I think at the end of the day, it's about urban planning, making sure that we are focused on the entire gamut of operations when it comes to uh, housing and not just focus on one sector, but we focus on the entire sector because the entire sector, sector is, is, is lacking infrastructure. I mean, houses are expensive as heck here in Imperial County. I mean, you've got a house that a few years ago was at 300000 and now it's at 400000 mm-hmm. Same house, mm-hmm. same location. But just the demands there, because again, the supply is significantly limited. Mm. There's only a few places, I believe, Imperial's building some houses, mm. and I believe uh, Brawley's building some, but I mean, it's a very limited amount. And then when it comes to low income housing, again, that's an avenue that we also need to attack. So, again, I, 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 I use the word urban planning because it's not just a one off, it needs to be an actual concept for a specific city as far as what they need to do. And how they're going to get it done. And obviously at the county level, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're almost at an hour. So I want to, you know, there's a lot of things that other things I want, would want to ask, but I want to keep it, you know, um, like driving distance or so like a round trip from here to Los Santos, like an hour or so people can listen to this, you know, uh-huh. when they go to Los Santos. But um, a couple, couple other questions I want to ask you is like, where do you see Calexico, the county, like five, 10 years from now? Well, I would love to say that with the exploitation of hemp production, and not just the hemp growth, but hemp production here locally with the exploitation of lithium production as well as lithium uh, uh, value-added services that can stay in our valley. Obviously looking at the ag industrial sector and making sure that we are focused on keeping as much investment here locally that we can as far as shipping it out. That's also very important. Obviously looking at our logistics corridor and developing that as well with our sister city in Mexicali, 
uh, and Imperial kind of really focused on making sure that we're adding value to it and bringing investment in that can stay here long term and create jobs. So I'm, I'm very bullish on our next five to 10 years, given our current opportunities. But again, we can't be selfish and territorial and we really need to be open-minded and working together with the IID, with the County of Imperial, with our local uh, cities and really focused on economic development, job creation to get this done. And again, um, what's good for El Centro is good for Calexico. What's good for Calexico is good for Brawley. We can't be territorial on this because at the end of the day, if the county's good, the cities are good. Yeah. And that's really a key focal point that we don't look at fiefdoms and separate ourselves because, again, we need to be very open to development in Imperial County. Yeah, and that's something that um, I kind of um, became aware during the pandemic where, like, um, when we were, like, in the, you know, the heat of, you know, the pandemic, we were, the office, uh, hospitals were packed, you know, I kind of felt like it was the valley alone, like we were in this ourselves. So, and, and yeah, like, if you look at uh, Google Google Maps, like, if you scroll out, it's just us in the middle of, you know, nowhere. So, I think we really need to, you know, stick together when it comes to issues like those that, you know, not only affect, you know, Calexico, it will affect our central imperial. Like, we need to make sure that, you know, we see it as Imperial Valley. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously, take take uh, pride in your city, but uh, to a certain degree, we're like, you know, you know, it, whatever we do, sometimes it will affect, you know, our sister, sister cities and we have families in our central that are related to us and whatnot. So, like, I feel like, yeah, making sure that, you know, whatever we do, it it involves the, the whole valley, not only our city. Absolutely. We need to be self-sufficient and we need to be working together. And sometimes we forget that, that specific fact. And we forget the fact that at the end of the day, if we're working together, we're all going to be better off. But if we're working on our own, it's going to be hard for us to bring that project here. It's going to be hard for us to to build that plant or to get the jobs that we want, mm-hmm. bottom line. Yeah. Um, one last question. And I don't know if you've been thinking about this, but um, any plans for re-election or any going somewhere else uh, as an elected official uh yes i did have plans to to look at other other options uh running at 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 different levels but i I think really where i can make the most bang for the buck and where i can really focus on on continuing the change and working with my fellow constituents my cities and my county is basically running for re-election so that's what you want to planning to do I think, again, given the fact that I have another daughter going through chemotherapy, again, it also set my sights on really being realistic in where I can really focus my time and make the most different most difference for my community. And that difference would be running for re-election, which is coming up in, in 2022. Okay. Yeah, because, um, uh, because, I mean, obviously, like I said, you went from city council to mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, county, and I thought maybe, but hopefully in the future, it'll be something that you you know decide to do like going i I did look at those options of either running at the state or federal level but at the end of the day i think uh, family comes first Mm -hmm. i mean think that that's a top priority and then following family i think it's really where you can make the most difference in the short to midterm and i think if i continue going the way i'm going and really trying to make a difference for my city for my county and really focused on that specifically i think we can definitely get a lot done so that's why i decided to to run for re-election and uh, and really try to make the uh, the best that I can do for my community. And I, I feel that you know when you got elected, um, it kind of said a lot about you because you you beat somebody that was you know had been in that position for quite a while, right? Somebody that 
Mr. Renison was somebody that had been yeah, Mr. John Renison, Supervisor John Renison. He was at the city council for 12 years, and then he was at the county board of supervisors for eight years. So it was definitely an uphill battle, mm-hmm. and I really respect him for that. I respect for for the 20 years of service he provided his his uh, community. Uh, I mean, again, he he did a lot of good things for our community, but I think it, there definitely needed to be a little bit of a change for things that we had already discussed in, in this interview. And that's why I decided to move forward. And I think there's still um, specific items, specific causes, uh, be it economic development, be it job creation, be it roads, be it a focal point for Calexico and what the issues in Calexico are that I decided to, to, to again, uh, run for re-election for the County Board of Supervisors. Well, hopefully we can see you here back in... Well, 2022 in November, is it? Uh, again, it, we still don't have the, the, the date specific for when the um, uh, the primary will be. Because there's a primary and then there's a runoff. The runoff is always the, the first Tuesday of November of 2022. But uh, we still don't have the date for the primary. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, I'm, I'm going to be there again and uh, working my butt off to, to be able to... Uh, to make a difference for my community. And again, I thank you for this interview. Yeah, and because normally I try to do the, um, when there's elections, I try to interview the candidates, just like I said earlier, like it, I think it's important for the people to get to know their, you know, people that are running for, for these positions. So um, hopefully we can have you back June or whenever the-, the Happy primary. to do so again. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, proud and humbled for you to have me here. And again, just trying to spread the message that we're working as hard as we can for, for our city and for our community, for our county. Yeah, for sure. Any closing thoughts that you would like to? No, again, I just want to thank you for this interview. And if anybody needs to reach me, uh, they know where to get me. Um, all my information is on the county website. I'm happy to assist uh, any individual in any way I can, whether they be in my district or in any other district in the county of Imperial. I really represent the whole of Imperial County, not just my district specifically. So, again, I'm basically here to assist as best as I can. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking this time. Um, I really appreciate it. I know you were in a meeting earlier and I didn't, you know, you told me that you want to do it a little bit later, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm thankful that you, you, you spend the time today. Well, so thank you for the invite. And again, if you, uh, I'm happy to be here once again, you just tell me and we're here. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening or watching. Um, thank you again, Calexico Brewing for, for the delicious beer and, and, and the hospitality. Um, we'll see you guys in the next one. Stay safe and peace. Peace.